Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women. And, uh, you know, really, not just here on the coast, but for the entire state of Mississippi, the people who are working so hard every single day to make this state and especially coastal Mississippi a better place to live, work, and play. You know, it's been a, been a dynamic week, really. Um, had the opportunity to spend time with Philip Gunn, the Speaker of the House. Um, what a terrific leader he is uh, as it relates to COVID, urging people to get the vaccine, going out and and uh, and spending time at, at medical facilities on the ground, looking at the data and telling people it's not about opinion, it's about what the data tells us about what is happening. And he saw it with his own eyes. Uh, really good conversation. Visit, I enjoyed my visit with uh, Milton Segarra yesterday. And, um, and uh, you know, I'm really, uh, really excited about their focus on the future and that nailing down a strategic plan and staying focused on how to manage tourism with so much uncertainty as it relates to especially this fourth wave in Delta, but really good stuff. So uh, I want to share two things with you and then I'm going to ask Kyle to come in. And then incidentally, I'll go ahead and tell you that our guest uh, probably will start toward the end of this segment. If not, we'll start at the se- second segment. I've asked Stacy Pickering to come back and join me. Uh, Stacy is the is a former auditor of the state of Mississippi, and he has tremendous responsibilities for the veteran community in the state. He's just a smart guy, and there are a lot of current events right now. And I just wanted I invited him back just to talk to me about some of the things that are happening. They've got some good news as it relates to their facility uh, traditions. We'll talk about that as well. But um, I saw this this morning. You know, it's kind of you, everyone has heard it. But it's a quote from Thomas Edison that says, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. You know, we all have heard that one, but it's good to be reminded that no matter how much talent you have, if you're not willing to burn the midnight oil, if you're not willing to work your rear end off, you may not accomplish your goals. So it's just a good reminder that even Thomas Edison believed that hard work is the thing that separated the successful from the unsuccessful. Uh, Hey, this morning, a friend of mine posted something about the vitriol on Facebook. And I went went into his Facebook feed and I shared a thought that I have. And I thought, well, you know, when I got done, I I said, you know, I'm going to share that thought with, uh, with my Coast View audience. But essentially what it said is that Facebook, um, enables the majority of people who would never do this to say something they would never say to someone's face. You know, that's just a reality. Um, it, it, it creates a, a form for toxic people and toxic thoughts. You know, I spent a career in the media industry. And in the work that I did, it's at the Sun-Herald, the Times-Picayune, you know, Birmingham News, Huntsville Times, Mobile Press Register, and in other websites that I had responsibilities for, we always had teams of people who managed the content section. And, and it was always hard. You know, I've, I've seen that where it's managed, and I've seen the Wild West, like Facebook, where it's not managed. And um, and and here's what's, what I've learned. Uh, I've learned that for every person who is toxic, who lacks uh, compassion and, and empathy, there are probably 100 more not commenting great people, good people who have empathy and compassion. 
Um, you know, what's what's so interesting is that I, I personally have seen it in my career that that uh, it's really important not to uh, react to the toxicity. Um, and I think you have to remind yourself that when you read something that's not good, that's toxic, a hundred other people, hundreds of other people probably have read it too and already made the decision that they're not going to, to react to it. Um, the opposite of love, you've heard this before, it's not hate. The opposite of love is not hate. The, the opposite of love is indifference. And I think that sometimes there is an art their sanity <laughs> that comes with understanding the reality of not engaging. Uh, ignoring toxicity can be absolutely liberating, but what you got to remember that Facebook uses artificial intelligence. They use algorithms that want to incite engagement. That's what they're trying to do. So, you know, the truth is Facebook likes a good fight. <laughs> they encourage a good fight. They, they'll feed your Facebook feed with, with things that are going to get you riled up because that increases engagement and they make money from you being mad. They make money from you being uh, the person who responds and fights with someone else in the comment stream. Um, but at the end of the day, I, my advice is to learn not to fight. <laughs> my, I, I can assure you that, that you'll be happier if you, if you take that point of view. There's a lot of noise out there, and there is a, there is a, there is a, there's a lot to learn uh, th from sorting through that noise. Uh, I never forget that there are so many good people that are on Facebook that you do not hear from. They're reading, they're definitely reading, but they're not commenting. And what I've found is that there is peace and lurking. <laughs> there is definitely peace and lurking. And I'm confident that uh, in this awareness, you can restore confidence in, in human nature yourself if you learn not to not to react to what you're reading. Uh, you know, that's something I try to live by. I've engaged people a lot more recently as it relates to COVID and especially the, the Delta variant. Uh, because I'm really focused on trying to get the good, best information out there that I can. And it's not always easy because people are pretty riled up and Facebook has helped them get riled up. It just touched me the other day when Lee Bond said that a, a person who passed away, their last words were, their very last words were, I wish I had not listened to the people on Facebook. So it's really unfortunate. Uh, so now let's move to my friend Kyle. And uh, Kyle hadn't had an opportunity to uh, to. Uh, to, to discuss with you sort of the latest, but the Saints game, man, I mean, I think we saw a big separation of uh, quarterback, didn't we? Really? All hell, Jameis. <laughs> he looked well good. read. He it did. Nine ten, nine for ten, two touchdowns, uh, one hundred and twenty-four yards, something like that. I'm just kind of spitballing uh, as yeah. I was through Facebook. I didn't really yeah. stop. And, Stick around much. You know what? I mean, really, no, no, seriously, we were waiting for separation. And, um, you know, mo most of the most of the experts on TV who were analyzing the situation said that this is what was expected, that that um, that Peyton was trying to get wanted to give uh, Taysom an opportunity. But I think, you know, as, as Jeff Duncan wrote, uh, and we'll see him on Friday, we can talk more about this. But as Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com wrote, um, it's time to go ahead and crown the starter so they can figure out who the backup's going to be and, 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 uh, and then get Taysom back into his uh, Swiss Army knife, knife role. I think it will be a better team under that scenario. Yeah, I 
pretty much uh, concur with that. That's would be, you know, Taysom, he looked all right. Again, you know, took him a little bit to get his feet underneath him. I don't think he's quite ready yet. Jameis looked ready for the part. He looked ready to lead the team. And if he can continue on that same path, I think we'll be in good shape. And especially if we can, you know, pin down a good third string quarterback to give Taysom that outlet to be that Swiss army life that we're so accustomed to have, you know, that was, that was refreshing to see in that first quarter last night, albeit it's preseason. You don't know what it's going to look like when we play the Packers. Hopefully it is the Jameis that we saw last night. I hope so too. You know, we always said that if he could get inside the system and, and learn it, that Sean Payton would make him better. And that's happening. So, yeah, you know, really do hope that, you know, we'll see what happens, you know. Ricky, I so, do have to ask though before we get yeah. moved on, because we got about three minutes left here. Yeah. yeah. How was Mila first? My granddaughter Mila got out of the hospital yesterday afternoon and she is doing really well. Thank God. And I, I once again just want to thanks for your thank you for your support and for you know Jordan and Sierra just uh, are so touched by the outpouring of support and prayers for Mila. And you know we're all we're all thankful and we're real really happy. We're really happy that she's out of the hospital. That's good to hear. I'm actually goosebumps now just hearing that she's yeah. okay and that yeah. she's home. And yeah, that. It's worrisome when something like that happens. Really yeah, is. thank you. Hey, so what, what, listen, since we're coming to the end of the break, I'll tell you, I'll give you the headline on yesterday, and then we'll okay. come back on the other side. I'll, I'll give you the rest of yesterday, and then we'll get to Stacy real quick. But I spent some time yesterday afternoon with uh, with with Lee Bond from Singer River Health System. He's the CEO. He's been on the show many times. And Georgia Story, who works also at Singer River Health Systems. And uh, Hank Zuber, the the uh, representative from District uh, 13, also 113, joined us as well. And we spent some time in the ICU visiting with critical uh, care teams. And then we went down to the ER and uh, met with some a team down there as well. And buddy, what I saw was indescribable and gut wrenching. And when we, you know, room after room after room after room after room of people who were on ventilators. And um, I don't think I saw a person yesterday on a ventilator that had had been vaccinated. And it was just, it was heartbreaking. And the, the, the stress on the healthcare system, the incredible emotional toll that it's taken on healthcare workers is truly remarkable, man. But when we come back on the other side, I, I want to I want to tell you about three people that I met in particular, and how passionate they were, and they just represent hundreds more like them that are working overtime every single day to make a big difference. And when we come back, well, I tell you who they were, what they had to say, and then we'll move quickly to uh, my friend Stacy Pickering. We'll see you after this break. Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Uh, Kyle, come on back in for just a second and let me uh, let me share just a couple of quick stories. When we got to when I got to Singer of the Health Systems, we went immediately to the ICU and met a couple of people there. We met several people there, but we really were engaged in conversations with uh, one of the one of the key critical services uh, managers. His name is Buddy Gager, and also with Allison Plunk, who is also as a patient care supervisor at the hospital. And um, and we just had a we had a very long conversation, and we videoed some of it. And uh, we're working through the videos now. And I'll, in a future show, either tomorrow or the next day, I'll share some segments of what they had to say. But essentially. They, what I got from it was that they were unbelievably dedicated. My goodness, what they're having to deal with. There, there are 16 rooms in the ICU. Every single room has a COVID patient. Every single room has a COVID patient on a ventilator. And, um, and what you see is the IVs and all of this are outside the room so that they can do a lot of the maintenance of the IVs and all that in, in the hallways right outside the, uh, the, uh, the rooms. Um, but Man, the toll on them. You know, we had a couple of patients that had been in there for more than 30 days. Um, it was it was very bleak, man. And we had they had a couple of uh, patients down in the emergency room that were waiting to be transferred to the ICU, and they were also in ventilators. Uh, but the, but the conversation with Buddy and Allison were just incredible. And then when we went downstairs, we spent some time with Candy Riley, who's a critical care coordinator. And, uh, you know, she said, you know, she, I think she actually works between Ocean Springs and also Singing River in Pascagoula. But, you know, every room filled in the ER. Um, you know, when patients come, there's a lot of triaging that has to happen. You know, they have a real challenge with capacity, room capacity, et cetera. But one of the one of the beauties is I kept hearing this over and over again. They are dedicated, so dedicated. So um, anyway, it was just a compelling thing. Why don't we do this so, we, so that we can get get straight to Stacy? I, I want to hear your thought a little bit, Stacy, about you heard what I was saying about the uh, about the incredible <laughs> the incredible medical. Uh, critical care people that you know, and it, should, it could be it could be a, a custodian that's having to clean an IC room, ICU room. But man, we every single community has these incredible, dedicated people who are working so hard to save people's lives. And I can only imagine what's going through their heads. I mean, if more people would get vaccinated, we'd have less people who are needing these critical situations. And so many of them, once you get to the ICU, the number ICU, the numbers are not good. You may not make it out of the ICU. What do you, what do you think about this, Stacey, when you think about it? You know, the numbers are just clear. Uh, you know, I've shared just a couple of weeks ago on your show, and I've been saying as often as we can, we had 95 veterans in our state veterans home pass away from COVID-related illness prior to the vaccine. But in January, on the 9th of January, we vaccinated 95, 97% of our, our residents, and we've had zero COVID deaths. These are senior adult, bad health, difficult situations, and they beat COVID. They're not going to the hospital, but the unvaccinated, the folks who have lost faith and trust for whatever reason, or just refuse, you're not going to tell me what to do. They're the ones, 98% are filling up the, the ERs now, the hospitals. Um, that's the problem. And then if you have a car accident, God forbid a serious accident or a heart, heart attack or a stroke, 
there's no bed for you. They're putting you in the hallways. And people think that this is scare tactic. It's just the reality in every one of our communities in Mississippi that we're facing right now. And it's just a logical, get the vaccine, protect yourself. You may still get COVID, but you're not gonna get deathly mm -hmm. ill or sick or require hospitalization. It's heartbreaking, Stacy, because you've got, uh, in the case of what I saw yesterday, um, you know, an ICU that is filled with critical, you know, in a typical 16-room ICU, you might have a couple of people on ventilators and you have other people that are working their way through various stages of recovery. But often with COVID, what you're watching is various stages of degrading health and 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 all of them are serious all of them have unbelievable uh, critical care needs uh, I, the the stress on nurses is unbelievable and here's the thing man we got a problem in this state we need to retain nurses more there there are more nurses leaving than there are getting, coming and i hope our leaders will get focused on this faster we're we're not moving fast enough ricky it's not just the fact that they're leaving uh, my rns in the state veterans homes get an email almost every month from Oshners, just right across the state line with a $10,000 signing bonus, guaranteed number of hours for 14 to 16 weeks. So you know they're going to go make a certain amount of money and they're paying their moving expenses. I mean, you've never seen anything like this. And so I thought we would start getting better by this point and you would start having Mississippi folks say, hey, this is a great career field. I need to get in nursing. But we have 500 less nursing students in LPN and RN statewide right now in the education system. So our pipeline is even getting worse. It's not getting better. And so that, you take a look at it, it's not just the fact that hospitals are paying $80 an hour in some markets for RNs, and that means smaller markets are having to step up and we're losing money. And then you got nursing homes. I can't go to one RN on the entire floor like a hospital can. They can augment with LPNs and go from, you know, saying, one RN for every six patients to go to 10 to 16 possibly. I've heard some hospitals have had to do that because of the nursing shortage. But because of Medicaid, Medicare requirements, the VA requirements, I still have to maintain three staff for every resident. And because of that, I am we're bleeding money. The legislature tried to help us fix it. So you start thinking it's not just the hospital, the ER, the ICU. What is this nursing crisis and staffing doing to every one of our nursing homes in Mississippi? And that's, we start thinking about the ripple effect. That's not going into people's equation when we're at church together on Sunday mornings and go, well, I'm not going to get the vaccine. Get the vaccine because it's affecting how your grandmother is being treated at the local nursing home or your mother or your father. And it's not just veterans homes. This is every nursing home is fighting a staffing crisis right now that's being created by the COVID-19 economy. And it's not going away. It's getting worse. And we've got to, you know, I want our, I want our state leaders, you know, they're, they're working now. I, I think it's been slow to do this, to be quite honest with you. But look, I'm not, I'm not focused on the past. I'm focused on right now and where we're headed. They're working their rears off now to get reinforcements. Reinforcements help tactically. They don't help strategically because these reinforcements that they're bringing in get paid tremendously more than the full-time employees that have been burning the midnight oil seven days a week for you know since COVID began. Two things you know, on that front. I lost a good guy, an LPN that had just gone to workforce in the last year, left us to go to work for a temp agency because they're getting paid twice what he was getting paid. And his comment was going out the door. It's not fair as a state employee that I'm getting paid this, but a temp agency is getting paid more. 
And I lost 12 nurses in the last 10 days across our healthcare system. And that's affecting every nursing home, every hospital. It's a staffing crisis. But when it you is. talk about bringing them from the outside, you know, bringing in two military task force. So one, I still serve in the Mississippi Air Guard. My unit's attached to First Air Force. That's who's chopping these people off coming to Mississippi. I got a phone call from my colleague at Tyndall at First Air Force. He said, hey, Stace, how bad is it? We're sending 50 military personnel into Mississippi. What's going on? They're not going to be here long term. It's a good tactical short term fix. But what happens in six months from now, 12 months from now, when we already have less people going into the nursing profession because of the stresses, because of the anxiety, the travel companies are hiring them away and they're sending them all over the U.S. I've got neighbors in Laurel who are working in Mobile, working in California, working in Texas, not working here because they get paid so much more. And, you know, what is the plan for our healthcare system a year from now? Yeah, I think that, again, I think tactically, I, I'm not answering your question. I'm just adding <laughs> to your point that tactically we got to get reinforcements. There's no question about Absolutely. that. But we have to understand that these reinforcements are being paid more than the people who are there already. And this that's that inherently is kind of a, 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 a rub, but we got it. It is what it is. Then we got to fo focus on how can we fix this strategically? It, maybe it's the retention bonus. I think it is actually that, that Lee Bond continues to talk about it. There's a pay disparity. So many of our hospitals in Mississippi are nonprofit. I talked to a friend of mine in the Delta who's a big time leader in the Delta. He talked about hospitals like in Greenwood and others that are Man, they're just they're they can't make ends meet now, man. They are uh, the the rural hospitals are completely overwhelmed. But I just don't get the sense that we're focused on both of these issues simultaneously. So in other words, what might happen, unfortunately, we'll get we'll hit a peak with Delta, it starts to come down and some maybe some of the heat starts to get off. That's not good. Because there's gonna, what's going to be left behind are these issues aren't going away, as you just pointed out. You just clearly pointed out that it's going to be with us from here. Then there'll be another peak at some point. Then what do we do? We got to fix this problem because the healthcare system in Mississippi is literally busting at the seams. Well, and it can't what? stay. We can't. Yeah, even before COVID-19, our community hospitals, like you just mentioned, the one in the Delta, I live in Laurel, you know, South Central Regional is absolutely a great regional hospital, but their finances are on such a razor thin margin that we've got to address this long term. And I tell the story all the time, and I know we're coming up on a break in a moment, but my father several years ago had a stroke. And if he had not been in town when he started showing symptoms, got to the ER, got the warfarin, he would have been poss possibly died that night. If he had been 20 minutes away at our family farm where he lives, he would have told my mother, hey, I'll see. We'll go in the morning if I'm not feeling better. And he probably would not have woken up. Those small rural hospitals are critical to the care of Mississippians. They are so much, so much. So there are short-term things we have to do, but there's a long-term solution that everyone needs to get their head around. Maybe that's the role of the special section. session. They got a lot of money. If we don't fix the medical system in Mississippi, we got we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have some serious serious issues. After what I saw yesterday, man, it it's scary. It's scary because I see the stress they're under and I see the emotional stress they're under, and it's it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. Okay, when we come back, we're gonna continue our conversation with Stacy Pickering.
Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Good morning and welcome back to Coast View. You know, that, that conversation that Stacy Pickering and I had, but incidentally, Stacy is head of the Mississippi Veterans Affairs, been on the show three or four times, smart guy, enjoys visiting with him. But it's an important conversation. And uh, we're going to shift gears now, but we could spend another two segments just talking about the emotional tool, uh, uh, the emotional toll. That this situation is is, uh, is is putting on these healthcare workers, and we've got to figure out what we can do to show them that we care about them, and that we want to retain them. This is really an important conversation. It's, we're going to need them from now on. <laughs> this is not just about this wave of Delta. Delta is not going away. We got other needs in the healthcare s- system, and we need them. We need them big time. But hey, I want to shift gears now, Stacy, because you know I've talked several times before. But you know, you have a long history. You have a very long history of of giving back. You were in National Guard. You uh, you were a chaplain. You uh, were the state auditor. You actually resigned as state auditor to become the head of the Mississippi Veterans Affairs. And Shad White came in behind you. We'll talk about that in just a second. But how did it – I never have talked to you about the decision to sort of resign from an elected position to accept this role as head of the Mississippi Veterans Affairs. What goes through your head, and was that hard to do? Because once you sort of get the political thing in your blood, and given that your family's you know, get rich in history of political act- action – how did you know? Were were there lingering effects of that transition? Uh, you know, Ricky, I still tell folks I'm a recovering politician. You know, I stole stole that line from Haley Barber. I used to tell folks he's a re, you know recovering attorney. Uh, yeah, it's always in your blood. You love public policy because it changes the future uh, for the state, for your local community. My wife and I still have those conversations daily, even about things we see, things we you know, could happen to make our quality of life better for us, for our, our, our children and for you know, fellow Mississippians, grandchildren, the next generation. We need to be thinking 20 years out of what decisions we make today. How's that going to impact the next generation 20 years from now? I got to be a part of that in the state Senate. Uh, I love my, my, my term as a state senator in Mississippi. We had tort reform, which was huge at the time, totally changed our economy. You know, uh, we stopped losing doctors and they started staying in Mississippi. Uh, their uh, malpractice insurance went down. And then I became st- uh, the state auditor, got elected three terms. I was president of the National State Auditor Association. We had received the Comptroller General's uh, award. I'd received all the three top awards you can get in the government accountability community. Our staff, myself, we had received those awards, that recognition. And then I was approached by one of my board members that asked me, hey, would you ever consider putting your name in, let us look at your resume to run the State Veterans Affairs. And that's kind of how that dialogue started. And it's like, wow, what is that mission? What does it look like? And the more I got into it, you know, we all, everybody hears about the State Veterans Homes. That's our big 800 pound gorilla, 600 beds. We spend 90% of our time, but we have two cemeteries to honor our men and women and their families who served. Uh, they doesn't cost them anything to be buried at either one of the State Veteran Memorial Cemeteries. And then we do all the GI bills. So most folks don't realize every school that receives a GI Bill for student veterans, we have to audit and authorize 
that program and that curriculum. And so last year, it was over a billion dollars of money came into Mississippi through the GI Bill at all the universities and colleges and even businesses like BT Halter and Ingalls on the coast. They have on-the-job training programs that they can access GI Bill benefits for those veterans and help their families. So yeah, all of a sudden you start digging into it and you realize the veterans community is a huge economic driver for the state and man, what better thing to champion, what better opportunity. And so it's a great mission and uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed every minute I've had since I have made that decision to move and to take on the responsibility of leading the Mississippi VA. You know, I mentioned family, your, your family, and I've, I've discovered an interesting connection. You and I actually talked a little bit about your uncle, Charles Pickering, who was the senator. Excuse me. Yes, he was the state senator for sure. State senator, 1969, he was elected first yeah. Republican state senator. Yeah, and uh, and he was a judge, a very respected judge. And then your cousin Chip, who I knew uh, know really well, I haven't seen him in many years, but he was a U.S. representative. But what I what was interesting, how I knew Charles Pickering was, he was friends with my friend or my former boss at Mississippi Power Company, Bobby Nichols. I worked in the purchasing department there from 1978 to 1980 while I was going to school, and um, and. And then I discovered, actually, that you worked for Howard Industries. And I knew Cowboy Howard because he would come oh. in and visit with us. <laughs> and for people who don't know Cowboy, I mean, what a visionary. And what he built in Howard Industries is still today one of the one of the very significant businesses in this state, isn't it? Second largest private employer behind Ingalls Shipbuilding. Um, it's largest manufacturer of transformers. And it's all located in Laurel. I mean, when Billy Howard left... Uh, GE came home with a group of investors and said, I want to build transformers and I can compete against these 23 other companies, including GE and Square D and all the others. They said, all right, go out and get us a million dollars in contracts. And he and his wife, Linda, loaded up the baby and the diapers and the formula and they get the road for three months, came back with $3 million and been a profitable company since day one. Uh, it's a great success story of a Mississippian, which we've got them all over the state, who saw an opportunity and saw a need and did it here at home. And we don't champion that enough, Ricky, the fact that we've got Mississippians oh. who are leading industry, their industries. Uh, Lex Taylor with Taylor uh, Machine and uh, you know, their, their heavy lifts, as well as their generating the power plants, uh, the Divinity Brothers. You get on the list, we can just name one after the other after the other of Mississippians who've done good. Well, Cowboy Howard and Bobby Nichols will get a kick out of this. And it's interesting because I, I, I just remember stuff like this. But, you know, I may not remember this entirely correctly. But one of the first things he did, which I thought was very innovative, is he did rehab of Transformers. And so, as opposed to just doing just new Transformers, he would take – you know, you know, use transformers and rehab them. And he, he, he just started branching out and doing all these interesting things. And I just remember that was back in, again, 1978, 79, 80, somewhere in that frame, time frame. And he developed this really solid relationship with Mississippi Power and, um, you know, so dynamic. A great folks. I told somebody it was one of the best MBAs I could learn was sitting at Billy Howard's feet and his wife, Linda, in their office because they shared an office and about pricing and management. And uh, I, I, he was very gracious to me and a good mentor. And when the family would go on vacation, you know, he would literally let me run one of the plants uh, for a week or two. And, and it was a great way to learn management skills and how to run a business. And a good friend of mine, Mike Chancellor, and I were visiting over the weekend. And Mike said, you know, it doesn't matter what field you're in. When you can run one company, you can run any company. It's all a matter of people, managing your staff, 
seizing your opportunities, managing your budgets. And he's absolutely right. And Billy Howard did that because we went from transformers, substations, computers, lighting fixtures, trucking companies, just a great American success story. Uh, I, I totally love it. And you know, Bobby Nichols, maybe, I will tell you, he's a yeah. dear friend. He was one of my great, whenever I ran for auditor the first time, he lives in Tupelo now. And yeah. he had me up and hosted and met me, introduced me to folks, a great friend, uh, some great leaders across the state. Well, Bobby Nichols, he, you know, he knows this and he's probably listening now because he pays a lot of attention to the show. But he was almost like a dad to me. In fact, my father passed away while I worked for him. And Bobby... Bobby encouraged me uh, to finish school, to work hard, to the, this phrase I use about burning the midnight oil, I got from Bobby Nichols. And he just he just set a, a course for me that um, that, you know, there was no looking back. But had it not been for Bobby Nichols, I wouldn't be sitting here at, at this table right now. I don't know where I'd be, actually, to be quite honest with you. Just incredible impact on my life. And um, it's it's interesting to look back and see how all the dots connect in this state. It, I mean, I mean, it really I, is, isn't it? Yeah, Thompson Wright up at Oxford, you know, one of our great writers right now, uh, he, he made the comment on one interview. He said, you know, it's really not a state. We're really a club. We all know each other. And in the veterans community, you know, Mississippi, you've got so many veterans who give back. You know, how many kids, young men and women have gone through boys' state and girls' state? Those programs are funded and run by veterans and their spouses and family members. Our military community gives back so much. It's not just when they wear the uniform. They come home and they are in the churches. They're in our local communities. They run for office and uh, they, they run those programs that shape our future leaders uh, like Boys State and Girls State and baseball uh, leagues across the state with American Legion. The VFWDAV, your veterans stay involved. They give back. And so for me to come to work every day, to work with men and women like that and to tell their stories, you know, it's absolutely a great honor every day to work for the 174,000 veterans in Mississippi and their and their families. So interesting. So interesting. Hey, you've got, uh, as we sort of wind this particular segment down real quick, you got great news on the Veterans Home up, up at Traditions. Absolutely. Uh, we Yesterday, we were notified by the federal VA the last document was signed. And uh, so the state Bureau of Buildings and our architect out of Ocean Springs, uh, Hoppy Allred, and his crew at Allred Starwarski are signing the contracts with Start Construction, another Gulf Coast company. And we are expecting in about two to three weeks to have our pre-construction meeting and we will start pushing dirt and we will have 100 beds in place by uh, about 18 to 24 months from now for the veterans to live on the Gulf Coast. You know, Ricky, 30% of Mississippi's veterans live in Harrison, Jackson, and Hancock County. That's so significant. And then, by the way, in several conversations after you and I talked last, it came back up again and we talked again about the use of technology and the work that you guys are doing to be innovative so that it's not just about making veterans feel you know, you know, know, comfortable as they grow older, but it's giving them the absolute optimum um, you know, quality of life. When we come back, we can continue our conversation with uh, Stacey Pickering. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Coming back to Stacy Pickering, who uh, in the National Guard, he had some very specific strategic or actually tactical responsibilities, not in Afghanistan, but it involved Afghanistan. We'll come back to that in just a second. But actually, just don't come back to that. Tell us what that was, Stacy, and then I'll make a couple of comments. Yeah, jokingly, my, my brother's in the Army, and he was deploying to Iraq for his second tour, and I got my OEF orders, uh, Operation Enduring Freedom, and uh, called him up. He and I were talking. He got excited to get a picture taken downrange, and I said, no, son. I said, I'm in the Air Force. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm going to Las Vegas. Uh, it was a joke in the family, but... You know, so much of our war fighting has changed, and I'm in a command and control unit in the Mississippi Air National Guard, but I, my OEF orders, I was actually with the drone program. Uh, we call it the RPA in the military, you know, remotely piloted aircraft. They're not drones, they're RPAs, but uh, at the time that I was on orders at Creech Air Force Base in Nevada, you know, I think we were over 1,700 uh, kills uh, in action between three theaters of Iraq, Afghanistan, and Libya. That was the time that the Libya, I was uh, on orders uh, at that time, uh, folks say deployed. I, I didn't leave the country. I don't like to use the word deployed in that. It's, uh, but we were actually going to work every day, I'd get in the car, arrive on base about noon, and I would work through the evening shift. Of course, that was daytime over there uh, with our men and women that were literally flying over Afghanistan. We're watching the bad guys. And we're putting Hellfire missiles into trucks or when they're setting up IEDs or attacks or we're doing overwatch and lazing so that the A-10s can come in or F-16s and drop bombs supporting the ground troops. And it was an amazing time that I could be in the United States, in the Mojave Desert, at Creech Air Force Base, but I go to work and for 12 hours we're at war in three different theaters with probably 10 to 12 birds flying. Or RPAs, and then I get in the car and drive home and get in the swimming pool around 10 or 11 o'clock at night with the kids. It's a wow. very wild, different world. Hey, listen, Afghanistan is complicated, and um, it's actually been referred to, as we as we both know, the graveyard of empires, empires, because for a thousand years, empires tried to conquer it and weren't really successful. It's one of the most resilient countries in the world one of the most divided countries in the world. What's interesting about looking back in this history is if at the Battle of Bora Bora, had we gotten bin Laden and Omar at that time, it, the war might have been over at that time. But unfortunately, it wasn't. I mean, we ended up drawing you know, Australia and Canada and Germany and others into th this. And then we got into business of nation building. And, you know, if you start breaking down all the possibilities of errors and, and mistakes along the way, they, they are multiple. But at the end of the day, here we are trying to get out. And, I mean, best I can see from what I'm observing is that we have absolutely blown the exit. What's your thought about that? We have, and there's no way to argue about it. We the whole exit when we just pull out, and I, I use the example. You know, we've never we've never left Germany, Italy, Japan, or, or Korea. We still have troops there for stability purposes and projection of force. We pulled out of Vietnam. They were landing helicopters on buildings, pulling people out. We did try to pull out of Afghanistan, and we're landing helicopters and C-130s and flying people out to Germany, and they're coming to the U.S. Uh, that we're going to be bringing those here, but it's, it is a disaster. The tactics, the logistics have been a failure, but the issue is I'm concerned about where we are at Mississippi VA and where my heart is, someone who still wears the uniform. I've got a lot of brothers and sisters who did boots on the ground, that spilt their blood, 
left body parts there that live with those scars today, physically and emotionally, and they're having a hard time with this. And the biggest issue, we've reached out to them through social media to making sure they've got the resources they need. A good friend of mine's wife, uh, she, she served in the Air Force as a nurse in Baghdad, or in, uh, uh, in Afghanistan, and then she wrote a very moving piece on Facebook this last week, Ricky, about COVID. And so she's one of those nurses working in an ER, taking care of COVID patients. And she said, I don't know which is more painful at this moment. She's dealing with a lot of despair. And I've tried to tell a lot of folks that aren't in the military, have never served, have a, their connections two or three generations back, possibly. Be careful what we post on social media and how we say it, because you've got neighbors and friends who served there, who bled there, who are, their emotions are raw right now. And there's resources. The uh, VeteranCrisisLine.net is out there. They can, veterans can call 1-800-273-8255 to have someone to talk to. Over 70% of the counselors they can call and talk to is confidential are veterans themselves. And there's a certain brotherhood of talking to someone who's worn that uniform, that had a drill instructor yell at or even that's seen combat. You know, there are certain smells or certain experiences that bring back. Uh, even myself, uh, while I was in Las Vegas, I had not seen a Hilux Toyota truck because they don't sell them here in the U.S. when I was at Creech. Watching a show on Netflix, there was one, and certain emotions came back. Our men and women who actually were in combat, were downrange in Afghanistan, are watching this on the news. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of feelings, whether it's depression, anxiety, anger, hopelessness. We have to remind them that they're valued. What they did kept the terrorist at bay and off of our shores. We did not have a, a terrorist attack in the United States for the last 20 years. And we have to remember that. It was not for nothing. Now, how we've exited, how we've left is a failure, but our veterans, our men and women who wore the uniform, need to know that we, we appreciate them and we need to be careful how we talk about this and we address it. Well, those are wise words, Stacy. I can understand now why uh, you were, in addition to other leadership roles, you were a chaplain. And uh, often to be a good chaplain, you have to listen. You have to be willing to listen and hear people out. And as you point out, sometimes it's just about, you know, don't don't hold those thoughts in. I mean, f find someone who will listen to you. Call that helpline that you mentioned. But um, but you know, everyone everyone who has been involved in this, I'm sure, are some level of disillusioned. But know that just talking about it makes a big difference. So, Stacy, we'll we probably should come back. We probably should come back and talk a little bit more about that in in the near future, next week or two, because I think you have very wise advice about that, and uh, I think people need to hear that. So, uh, we got to go because it's the end of this segment. But but God bless you, my friend. Thank you for enjoy. Uh, well, I shouldn't say I enjoyed, but uh, but the 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 heavy conversations we had today were very important. I appreciate you contributing. Well, Ricky, thank you for leading this discussion, making it part and allowing me to be a part of it, but also getting the word out, especially to our veterans and their family members who are struggling with what's going on in Afghanistan. There are resources for them, and if they can't find them, go to our website, msba.ms.gov, and we're there to help. Okay, buddy. Thank you very much. This has been Stacy Pickering. Have a good day, and uh, go get vaccinated, and we'll see you tomorrow. Take care.
follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.